commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Uh, Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 10, the final season. Uh, I know that I owe you all uh, the year in review shows, so stay, sit tight, because they'll be coming at you soon. I just realized that I botched the, uh, I botched the setup of the episode here, so let me see if I can, uh, hold on a moment, folks, (laughs) Uh, sorry, Tyler, this thing's like set for a 15-minute show, which is not correct, so, uh, let's see if we can edit this right now, there we go, sorry, folks, there we go. All right, yeah, I owe you all the uh, year-in-review uh, MP3s. Uh, that was a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be to uh, get them out there for you, but they'll be coming soon. But uh, the good news is, if you're listening to this, you're an MP3 listener anyway, and uh, chances are. And uh, therefore, you're going to get three shows, because now you're on your third show. Uh, that will be rolling out to you this week. And our guest is uh, my old buddy here, Dr. Tyler Cokejohn. He's a professor of microbiology at the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine. And uh, he's, he, I hear a lot about sort of like academics taking a look at this UFO stuff. And uh, in a way, he was sort of, he was doing this before it became cool recently. He's uh, had a longstanding interest in UFOs to start talking about it in recent years with my buddies, uh, Jeremy Vaney, Jeff Ritzman on Paratopia and the guys from Project Archivist. And he's been on here a few times. And I really always enjoyed our conversations, and he's one of those guests that uh, I talk to off the air on occasion when I can, just to uh, sort of workshop ideas and have some laughs and and catch up on uh, gossip in the world of uh, ufology and the paranormal and and sort of just, uh, you know, get each other's thoughts on different stories that are happening out there. So I knew as we were wrapping up Season 10, and it's terrifying in a way. This is episode 30 of the season, so we're really, <laughs> we're really like over the cliff now. Um, we're, we're like in the final, final episodes of the year, uh, or of the season, and uh, of the series, so it's exciting. Uh, I knew I had to get him on here. I knew all along, I've been teasing him on Twitter all fall uh, and summer, that uh, he was due to show up. So now here, finally, uh, to start 2018, 
with some fresh conversations about different topics. Uh, Dr. Carl, uh, Dr. Tyler Coke John is uh, back on Banal of America. Thank you, my friend, for uh, coming back on the show. Well, I'm really happy to be here, although I'm kind of sad that you're winding me all down. Yeah, you know, it is. I get kind of sad sometimes, but you know, I think I'll be off to do something else, something exciting. I'm sure the I'm sure sort of the show that everyone's come to know and love will still be around in some form or fashion. You know what I mean? Okay. So I don't sure. think uh, I may take that said. I always like it. That said, I may take uh, I may take some time to you know, chill out and, and uh, come up with some other stuff, you know. Because I've always Sounds wanted good. to do more writing, and uh, to do a show, you don't have as much time to do writing. Tyler? Yeah, oh. yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. No, 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 no. That's what they all say, but... It's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but it's good to have you back. I always enjoy our conversations, because they're super laid back, and... Uh, I don't know too many like bona fide scientists, so uh, despite what many ufologists might claim to be, um, mm. you know. Well, I mean, obviously yeah. that wasn't a. Sh- <laughs> I feel like now I can co- cover for like Stan. Now Stan is a nuclear physicist. I mean, you know, a ufologist is not a ufologist. Uh, it's not. It's not like a real scientist. Scientist. So Tyler's like one oh. of those real real timey scientists. Yeah. Okay. Fine. In a, in a way, I do my little part, but. Uh... Uh, careful on the ufology thing. You'll end up getting hate mail. Oh, jeez. No, no, no. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine who's uh, who, who'd still be listening that would be inspired to send hate mail. Uh, Vaney. Oh, Jesus, no. Vaney would be in agreement with that. <laughs> um. So what the one of the things I wanted to talk to you about when I was sort of putting together these topics and stuff for the show, which I thought was really uh, – because I've, I've been hearing a lot about this CRISPR thing, and I figured this is kind of in your wheelhouse of microbiology, I think. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know all these sciences and stuff, but I know genetics or genes are small, so my microbiology is micro. So there must be – maybe there's some connection there. Absolutely impeccable logic. Okay, okay. I mean, you're, you're definitely right. They are small. Uh, actually, the, the CRISPR system was discovered uh, or worked out by uh, microbiologists. And it, it turns out it, it has that strange name because uh, it was found by accident when they were doing some genomic sequencing of bacteria. They saw these sequences, the uh, clustered, regularly interspaced uh, palindromes, and uh, they didn't know what they were. And it was people that work with bacterial viruses that finally figured out, like, oh, this is basically a record-keeping system for the viruses that have attacked the cell previously, and it's bacterial immunity. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were the ones who discovered it, and they, they um, characterized it. But a few other folks um, came along, Jennifer Doudna, uh, a guy named Fang at uh, Massachusetts, uh, uh, and other ancillary people, I'm leaving out a whole lot of people because many people contributed to this, yeah. came up with the idea of using the CRISPR uh, defense system as a way to uh, modify a genome and in terms that um, are really not uh, going too far overboard. This is just heads and tails above 
what uh, we had in capability in terms of capabilities before CRISPR systems really taken over. It gives people a lot more power. It gives uh, a genetic engineer the power to modify things with precision that they just really couldn't do before. So it's it's changed all the rules. Nice, good. I'm excited. Not good necessarily, uh, but I'm excited because I don't. I've said I, I said I've heard a lot about this, but I don't. I have a million questions, which is again why. I'm really psyched that uh, Tyler is my friend because he can answer all these questions about about this thing that I've heard so much about, but don't know really anything um, about it. So I guess the how does it like how does it work though? You know what I'm saying? Like how would how how can they apply this? To, is it something they can like use on like you and me, or do they have to use it like before something's born? Uh, either way, uh, right now uh, to modify the the germline. So to take um, a really uh, a fertilized ovum or maybe just a, a few cell stages, uh, a few celled stage uh, embryo, uh, pretty much discouraged because it's not clear uh, how controllable the system is and will there be uh, untargeted mutations. There are claims both ways. Uh, people have said, oh, no, 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 this is, this is really accurate and highly controllable. And, other data suggests uh, it might be uh, inducing mutations that we really don't desire. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, what you could do for us in, in principle uh, would be, let's say you had um, uh, white cells that were um, useful against uh, a certain uh, cancer. You could modify them externally. You could collect these things from a purple blood sample and modify them in the test tube and reperfuse and yeah. have these activated cells. That's, that's uh, called CART, uh, the uh, protocol. And uh, so you can, you can take a look at some of these things. Uh, it's coming really fast, Tim. This is the, the scary part. Things that, you know, you're kind of hearing about now, uh, there are some uh, plans for clinical trials uh, on, on a limited basis. But it's moving so fast, I can't believe it. And yeah. I think, honestly, uh, a large portion of the scientific community feels the same way. The developments come so fast and curious that you can't keep pace. And so we have um, different forms that have gone out. You find one in the bacterium, uh, Stephatoxin pneumonia, for example. You can find others from other species, and they do slightly different things. And so we have all these new capabilities just emerging. They're engineering it to make it easier to use. Um, there's, uh, you can buy kits if you want to do this uh, at home. There's actually some demo kits for, uh, uh, I guess, uh, garage microbiologists, if you want to think of it that way. Um, it, it's, uh, the, in terms of lab, it's gone from nothing to everybody uses it because it's so useful. So uh, it's just taken over. Yeah. Unbelievable. Nobel Prizes on the way. Really? Several. I think so. Now, the, the big question will be... Isn't there some controversy about, like, who owns it and stuff? Oh, my God, is there. Yes. Tell and me about this. Well, let me tell you, there's gold in them there, Hill. It sounds so, like it if it's, like, become some kind of... How it works, just like a... It's, that's weird. Oh, weird. Did this happen now? Okay, okay now we're back. All right, weird. Fine. Could, could you okay. go over that again? So is it? I'm just sort of still confused. I sound like uh, um, I sound like a complete moron, but it's like I'm still kind of confused. So is it like a 
of like it's like a substance in a sense that they can get in and tinker with, and then they put it into something, and it changes the the blueprint of it essentially. More or less, it's a it's an enzyme that will uh, bind to targeted spots in the DNA, cut it very precisely. Uh, if you do that, depending on the the um, growth situation for the cell, uh, that can be repaired. Usually, they make small deletions, so that's one way to knock out a gene which actually is, is more useful than you might think. Uh, you can uh, contrive the situation so that it will change. You can, you can modify the uh, target gene. So in principle, uh, something like uh, sickle cell anemia, uh, which uh, basically is a very simple point mutation, could be uh, basically changed. If you could get a virus to deliver this to the uh, erythroid progenitor cells, for example, you could, you could in principle, cure this. So it's, um, it's, it's really uh, amazingly powerful. Now, I can't do everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're at that, that phase. But um, if, you, if you think about its potential uh, in terms of monetary potential, it's hard to put a number on it because we don't have a grasp exactly on what all it can do. Right, it's right. Holding, uh, but uh, the battles uh, between um, basically, I think it's uh, – MIT and uh, California, the Dr. Gowden School, Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, so the University of California system, I think, are the are litigants, and uh, they've been going at each other pretty uh, pretty hard in court. Over like uh, what? Over who owns the idea? Who has basically birthed the idea? Who has uh, the uh, I guess you would call primacy rights uh, to, to license oh, and geez. to uh, to regulate? So. Uh, isn't that sad, like, though, in a way that it's like they can come up with this? I guess that's the whole industry in a way of, like, academic, uh, you know, scientific pursuits nowadays. But it's like, isn't it kind of depressing where it's like they figured out this thing that could be, like, revolutionary, and the first thing is, like, fighting over who gets to license it? It's like, just get, get it out there so people can, so you know, so more people can work with it, man. It's, um, in one sense, it is, in fact, out there. Yeah. So for the research purposes and um, just work in the lab or whatever, they're, they're not really uh, big problems about the, the licensing and, and uh, okay. the selling, because that's, that's not the big money thing. But what you've hit on is something very interesting. It's how science has changed in a generation. And uh, one of the things that actually the Nobel Prize winner, Paul Berg, who did some seminal work with some of the first cloning uh, exercises, well, almost 50 years ago, yeah. um, he pointed this out in a paper he wrote in Nature 10 years ago. And, and one of the things that he foresaw as a change and a potential problem was the fact that so many scientists now have these ties to corporate industry, and uh, he felt that was a, a major complicating factor. Pretty much everything that, that he has had concern about has come to pass right. in the in the CRISPR field and elsewhere. And so one of the things that, that people have encouraged uh, scientists to do is that if you have something that can be patented, they'd like that to be patented and, uh, and then hopefully developed by somebody. Yeah. But the first step is to uh, basically get that intellectual property under your belt, under your control. Hmm. And, uh, but, oh, geez, uh, it, it really, it does look like uh, the rewards, the uh, scientific rewards, are undoubtedly going to be great. The monetary rewards, 
could be phenomenal. Really? Yes. Yeah. Like what kind of – give me some examples of like – because I think he did kind of say, like, it could be used. But, like, give, give me sort of like a concrete example of, like, what, what's being done with this thing. Well, in theory. Now, remember, that some of the, the um, things that we're talking about yeah. are undergoing tests that we have clinical trials, okay. for example. And uh, you – one thing that had, um, had been talked about would be the idea of being able uh, to surveil uh, cells for the presence of uh, quiet, quiescent uh, HIV, human immunodeficiency virus sequences, and uh, excising them, in, in other words, killing them in yeah. place. And uh, one of the things that happens with HIV therapies is that there may be uh, refugia, there may be cells that go quiescent. There certainly are long-lived uh, immune cells that harbor these viruses for very long periods of time. And so if you could go in and, and hold the virus in check with some of the therapies which, which do uh, prevail in the body for quite a while and then eliminate the viruses that are hiding out, uh, this would be pretty phenomenal. Now, the, so there's the theory. What's happened is when people have tried to um, basically destroy, uh, to kill the quiet HIV, yeah. we found out that the virus itself uh, is a frequent mutator. Some of these RNA viruses are not very uh, careful when they, they replicate. And RNA or the HIV virus tends to uh, mutate pretty fast. That's why it defeats therapy so readily. Yeah. Uh, and so when they've gone in and said, okay, here's our target sequence. This is what we program our CRISPR to attack. And they get them all. But they can't get the mutants because they're just different enough that the CRISPR doesn't recognize it. Right. And so you're sitting there with uh, a guy that's basically uh, not susceptible. And so it pops back out. So it, it, these are the things that you find out. It's not as simple as you thought. And so when you go through and do some of the trials, a lot of times you have to come back to phase two, try again, you know, uh, reconnoiter, see what went wrong, yeah, and uh, what can be uh, fixed. But um, one of the things that people dream about are uh, manipulations that uh, uh, could improve us if you want to think of it that way. That would be a dream. Now we're, now we're really talking speculative in the future. But uh, all kinds of ideas have been floated, and uh, some are probably going to be better than others, to be honest. Uh, so a lot better than others. Is this the kind of thing, like what kind of improvements, like uh, enhanced eyesight or something like that? Well, if you, uh, if you have some kind of defect, uh, let's say sickle cell anemia, we could definitely get rid of those. But the, the things that are very intriguing are uh, the idea of tweaking situations like uh, intelligence in, in principle, which we know has multiple uh, genetic bases uh, undefined at this point. Yeah. And that right there should tell you, um, well, you know, that's, that's difficult because we don't quite know what we're even talking about. But uh, um, one of the things that's, that's interesting is uh, a lot of folks have said, the scientific community has said, modifying the human germline, that's a red line. We don't want to get into that because we don't know enough right, right. to do this properly. We don't know what will happen. We have to follow these kids forever. Uh, and others uh, have come forward and said, well, no, we, we never said no, it's nothing. We, we, we said we could... We could do something, so we're kind of, you know, we're kind of arguing about how far we're going to go. 
Right. And yeah. So it's uh, the classic in for a diamond for a dollar. Um, but, one, you know, I mean, these are things that... Uh, it feels like the kind of thing that's like they're going to... that they would tinker with. And it feels like this is like like modern technology in a sense, where, like, once they kind of... Once they kind of get get out off the starting line, they're going to see all the cool stuff they can do, and they're not going to look back. And, and <laughs> we I, will have to deal yeah. with whatever the consequences are. Yeah, you know, eventually. And the way that the way that I would put it is, uh, you know, you listen to the scientists; they, they're um, they're doing great things, uh, but you also want to look at their disclosure statements to see where they might be having a vested interest in some of these things going forward. Yeah. So uh, um, one of the things that, you know, people have talked about uh, going after cystic fibrosis, uh, Huntington's disease, uh, these sorts of things uh, are tempting targets, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we may be able to do something uh, in terms of uh, working with them. We already can, actually, by it's called pre-implant, pre-implantation screening. But um, the thing that uh, people have, have talked about um Increasing height, for example, if you want to have NBA players. Yeah. Um, could uh, could you identify, let's just say in principle, we do all these mass sequencing and association uh, sorts of experiments, and we find out what the markers look like for intelligence. Right. Uh, would we then want to try to engineer those? In? And would that even be wise? Yeah, this comes down to like the old... Uh the old boogeyman of like the genetically engineered, ba- like the like the homemade baby or whatever, right? Or the designer yeah. baby, the designer baby, designer baby. Yeah. So it's there. There are a lot of possibilities. Now, remember, many of them are are very remote, very theoretical, and so we're getting people, I think, kind of stirred up for no good reason. But yeah, it's an interesting conundrum in a sense because it's like it, there's also this big there's like this big taboo about sort of like human testing in a sense and even absolutely it, it's like interesting because like even if they even if there if some company is like look we did all the work on these sheep and everything and we we promise it's like 100 percent cool you can make a designer baby now it's like people still have to take make take that leap of uh, of faith in a sense or 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 make the huge mistake of being like all right i'll I'll, let, let's take our let's 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 subject our baby to the designer baby thing, and we'll just make a bit like you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, I don't even know if yeah. that would it would have to come maybe from like a whole other country or something. You know, I can see these uh, kind of things emerging like from out of like China or Russia or something because here it's like people. Ah, it just seems really taboo. Well, isn't that interesting? Some other country because that has been done, and so we had a. a case where people uh, were interested in the so-called three-parent babies, and, and there is a mitochondrial defect. Oh, yeah, the three-parent baby, yeah. Yeah, and that this could cure. Unfortunately, it's not basically at this stage. They could not get approval to do it in the U.S., so they did it in Mexico. Yeah. And then when it all came out and created quite a splash, I think that the Mexican government basically said, no, that's enough. Uh, and I don't know what the status is if they come to terms about doing these things. But, yeah, we, we have some strictures. And um, now this, this will lead to a very interesting situation. And the idea that, well, let's just go to some other country. We won't name names, but yeah. there are places that have. 
uh, different rules and regulations, different outlook. And so we'll just go there. And the argument will be, well, see, if we don't let these experiments and this work go forward here, it will just migrate someplace else. Therefore, we must do this to stay abreast, you know, to, to keep our scientific advantage or whatever. We'll have this come back at us. Yeah, and at a more altruistic level, like sort of in the interest of like making sure that it's done in a safe and, uh, you know, uh, with some oversight or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, that's, yeah, that's an important consideration. And so I think, you know, that is part of the rationale. So you, you hit on something very important. You may have heard this argument before, and it's the kind of thing that, that is used uh, in the defense industry to uh, push us forward to do things that maybe a lot of people don't like to do, but uh, fear, okay, in this case it would be fear of being bypassed, of being uh, technologically backward. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, let's, let's you know, not kid ourselves. If there was a, a cure for uh, latent HIV that was uh, basically threatening to come back and, and kill you, you might want to go ahead and pay the money and travel and be, uh, you know, treated. Oh, yeah, so for that, sure, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so we don't. This is the we're on the nice edge. We don't want to hold back progress, but we don't want to go crazy. You know, I mean, we don't want to make errors. Yeah, it seems based. You know, I'm getting older. It's like we laugh on the show that all these mysteries and stuff. Uh, you know, they haven't solved like any of these mysteries that we talk about on the, on the show all, for all these years. But like at the same time, too, maybe uh, I'll sort of like have you answer for science in a sense, but it's like science isn't doing much better when it comes to their great mysteries in a way where it's like, they haven't solved, they haven't cured cancer or, 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 uh, I mean, it sounds like they're doing like pretty good work with HIV where it's not a death sentence anymore, but it's like, there's still, there's still like a million diseases, (laughs) you know, and science, like, as far as I can tell, they're not like curing, um, they're not doing much better than the ufologists are doing with the UFOs. It's uh, it, in many ways. Uh, you, you picked a good example: the the war on cancer, which uh, Nixon announced in, in I think 1971 or 1972. Uh, a lot of of things have happened. A lot of uh, treatments have have come forward. But in terms of uh, defeating cancer, we found out it, it was immensely more complicated. Than, than we had imagined. And this is often the case with nature. Yeah. Is that if there's any deficiency, it's in our ability to comprehend and model what is going on. And so, yeah, you're right that we have um, problems, some self-made, okay? Um, you want to think about it. We have more people who have health problems that are a consequence of obesity, smoking, uh, diabetes, uh, and lifestyle issues, uh, alcohol. Those yeah. are threats. Those people are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. If you gain about fifty pounds, then you can have the trifecta. <laughs> so, you know, keep working at it. Uh, <laughs> what, what people don't know is I keep bugging you to quit smoking. You're not you the know? only one. I get it all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, we, you know, we have all these uh, things in the environment. What happened with the war on cancer was really kind of interesting that biochemically we recognized that the pathways and things back in the 70s were uh, just really Byzantine and complicated. We didn't have good tools to get at them. 
Yeah. Uh, this is before the recombinant DNA revolution that Paul Berg and others uh, brought forward. Uh, and so they kind of gave up, and they said, okay, let's clean up the environment. Let's get red dye number two out of foods, and let's, you know, get stuff out of our drinking water. Ah, oh, I that. see. Yeah, let's try and change. Yeah, yeah, let's cut it off at the source. So uh, some progress has been made, but again, you're right. In terms of, uh, geez, if we started half a century ago, you think we'd have it by now in, in no way. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so anytime anyone's like, geez, it's taking them this long to... So they can't solve the UFO thing. It's like they can't find a cure for cancer either, man. I'm so sad. There you go. So, there you, go. you know, or bombshell. Maybe there's a connection, folks. <laughs> well, there is a connection. The world is complicated. Yeah. And, and you know, it doesn't work the way that we think it should. And a lot of times we have really, really great models, and they look so good. And and they kind of work for a while, but they don't carry us through to the the final, or as far as we would like them to. Yeah, and so we're, uh, you know, I joke with you guys and and Rogan and Lobo, uh, and then the ozone nightmare guys about uh, we cure Alzheimer's about once a month. Somebody comes forward, and what you'll find is that yeah, that's in mice, and uh, everything works in mice. We don't know why, and we get into the clinic, and it just doesn't really get us very far. Yeah, uh, Pfizer announced that they were kind of pulling out of Alzheimer's research. Uh, I think what that reflects is the fact that uh, frustration. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of money's been spent, and there's not a lot of products to show for it. Now, this is probably like I'm sure. Well, I guess it is kind of controversial, but it doesn't really um, doesn't uh, touch my life at all. So uh, I'll try and be as delicate as possible because I don't know what's what's controversial necessarily. But I, with that long caveat to start, um, have you? Have you sort of ever looked at this this thing with autism? Because a lot of people are like just blown away that it that, that it sort of exploded. Like, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't any such thing as this. As far as I can, you know, maybe there was like in a tiny like uh, hypothetical sort of like this is when they first come up with it type of thing. But certainly now it's like it's like some kind of I don't know if you call it a pandemic, an epidemic, or 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 you know, or what it or what it is really. I don't really know much even about it necessarily. I just know that like kids are handicapped uh, by some kind of like I don't know what you'd call it. Some kind of like uh, some I don't know something. Some kind of some kind of issue. Yeah, their brains uh, don't work in the way that uh, uh, sort of like the average person does. Uh, there's a there's a range. And autism covers a range of things, and some right. of the that's why I was kind of struggling to like it's, yeah, it's a hard it's it's a really hard topic to sort of understand if you're not someone who has someone who's uh, you know dealing with it. So to me, it's almost like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and you you've uh, identified something else as well, and that is it's a very uh, hard topic to comprehend because it's so complex. Right, and right. That, that alone is a signal that we are unlikely to have one cure that does everything yeah. for us. Uh, and this is kind of what we're finding with Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's disease, and I've already found with cancer is that there's many different types, each its own little universe. Right, so, yeah, right. You, you know, the thing that, that's fascinating in, in a way with uh, autism is the story that you put forward there is we didn't hear much about it, uh, we handle people differently today than we did back when I was a kid. Right, more right. inclined to mainstream kids into uh, the, the regular education system. So they're seeing a lot more. But there's no question. Something's wrong. 
something something's wrong. We we are uh, seeing an increase, and the the question then becomes is what the heck is prompting this? And so we have the theories about vaccination, and those are actually like the MMR vaccine. Uh, on the surface, when you first start to think about it, that's a good correlation. That's a very intriguing correlation that you, you give the kid the vaccine and, and all of a sudden you start to have these problems, and so you start to worry about cause and effect. Not being able to nail that down, you know, in, in a way that you know, scientists would be happy with. Uh, but, you know, it still begs the question, is it, is it our lifestyle? Is it uh, what we're eating? Well, the and, thing that uh, everyone freaks out about is the vaccines. That's the big – that's kind of why I also alluded to, like, controversy. I don't personally believe that that there's any connection to vaccines with autism, but the, a lot of people do, um, well, which is crazy yeah. in a way. I guess, maybe it's not crazy. I mean, I don't <laughs> – you know. Not, I would not call it crazy. I would call it a, a correlation, an observation. Uh, yeah. That we've not been able to pin down, but uh, it's one of the first things that people were able to correlate, and mm. so they, they all kind of grab that. But today, if we were talking about it, uh, a lot of things we see with autism are GI tract changes. Uh, somebody noticed that uh, putting this sugar trailose into the diet has set the stage for uh, basically uh, pseudomonas colitis or uh, the disease caused by Clostridium difficile because some of the uh, really bad strains of that bug like that in, in the gut. They grow better, apparently. Now, this is a, still a hypothesis. Yeah. And so if we'd found trailos, uh, you know, uh, 25 years ago was the first thing, that's what we would have glommed onto. And, heck, maybe it would have made it healthier to get it out of our diet. But we do so many things. We've changed so many things. We eat so many things that we didn't eat, you know, decades ago. And, and yeah, so, it's, it's a 500-channel world. It really is, and that that 500 channels in this case is going into your body, yeah, directly. So then, you know, we got well, okay. Uh, this is this thing called grass, generally regarded as safe, and so yeah, okay, you can eat this. But what happens if you combine it with something else that we don't understand yet? Yeah, and then a bug transforms it. Um, you know, kind of like the ayahuasca story, starts out benign, but it gets transformed, and whoa, miracle! You yeah. Know? I'm, I'm hallucinating, but uh, yeah, there's there's all these things that we we change uh, and modify, and uh, we see the end result. But it's harder than heck to uh, tease out what's really causing this to get the signal out of all the noise. So uh, you know, I mean, these are frustrating. Kids are kids are really having problems with this, and we just yeah can't, can't yeah, get, it's uh you know? it's pretty serious. That's why I was kind of. Delicate mints in my words, as I talked about. It's very serious, you know. Yes. It's, it's, uh, yeah. And it's very like, it's just very perplexing because it's like this silent. There's a silence to it. You know what I mean? With a lot of the the kids that are afflicted with it, it's like they they don't talk or anything. That's one of the big things. It's like, it's just uh, it's just unsettling. Well, you know, and we're we're talking about again that not everybody's the same. Right. Right. There's all kinds of. Different, I'm thinking about sort of the, the stereotypical. Uh, yeah, when you see on TV. Yeah, and the the, the frustrating part is that um, right now there's always a tentative aspect of science, and by that I mean I can come forward and say at the moment we don't have any uh, evidence that conclusively links MMR vaccination to uh, sudden onset of autism in a way that would uh, satisfy the, the statisticians, for example. But maybe next week. 
You know, <laughs> right. you, you you do have to look at these things, and you do have to be willing to come back and, and critique the work. And uh, you know, with new techniques, if something new comes up, uh, you know, maybe we'll figure it out. Uh, the problem, though, with the maddening part of this is the correlations. And so if you look hard enough, you're going to find correlations. And unfortunately, a correlation is not necessarily the same thing as a cause. And right. so you can end up chasing blind alleys and just being really frustrated. And that's that's kind of where we are. We would so desperately like to get this nailed down. But uh, it's something else, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's frightening. It's frightening. It really is. It's a it's a it's a frightening uh, disease in a lot of ways. Is it a disease or condition? I always get these real things confused. Oh, you're breaking up again. Oh. Jim. I only got. There we go. Is that better? Yes. All right. It's a condition, right? It was a disease. You're the doc. You're the scientist. How how is that a condition? I guess right. I I guess we don't think of it in the sense of a communicable disease. At all, right? So I, I guess that would be a way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. You know, we see more, and that's that's a good thing. We're trying to do uh, more for the the students that have it to uh, get them so that they can function uh, better around people that don't. Yeah. And uh, it's also important for people that don't to understand, uh, you know, what the issues are with these people and learn mm-hmm. how to interact with them. It's not all one direction here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, but this is the, the kind of thing you go back to, what kind of world would you create if you could? And so if we were able to make super intelligent children, would they all be happy, well-adjusted, or might they end up being kind of, like, weird? You know, freakishly smart, but weird. Yeah. You know, how are they going to get along in the world? And... uh uh, you know, so we have these ideas of what would be good, and maybe, maybe in reality, it's, it it would be a little bit more disappointing than that. Yeah, well, that yeah, kind of speaking sort of the idea of like dishonor baby idea or something like that. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, just just thinking that you know, okay, this is this is how it would be, and what if everybody could have an IQ of 180? You know, so right, like, right. like Wobegon, all the kids really are above average. Well, you just you've established a new average for one thing, but uh, ah, um, there you go, yeah. See, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that would be good, but maybe uh, uh, there would be other things that we hadn't anticipated that will come out. And this is the the downside of mass engineering stuff that we we struggle to understand. We we don't understand our bodies. We don't understand how they work. We don't understand how the brain works. Yeah, and the scary part is though, I think we're going to get out. It's kind of like how they. They made a nuclear bomb, and it's like you could blow up the world now, dude. Like, why'd you do that? You know, I think they're just going to get ahead of their skis on this too. And uh, you know, that seems to be the human condition almost. And we sort of try and adapt and scale things back and deal with things. It's uh, it's interesting you kind of put it that way because uh, ahead of the skis. That uh, for me, I I was looking at when CRISPR really started to take off a couple of years ago. And I think I was talking with uh, uh, Rojan and Lobo, thinking that here's how it will unfold. And the first thing will be we'll do it just like you said, an animal. And we'll show that everything's really safe, and then we'll migrate into humans. And I wasn't prepared for how fast we had clinical applications. But uh, in defense of the, of the clinicians, we have had 
genetic modification protocols, you know, other methods. They just weren't as good or as convenient. And so those have kind of been grinding through for a while. So it's not really totally new virgin territory, but uh, capabilities really are. Yeah. So it's, but yeah, just that we will, we are way ahead. Um, and the thing that's interesting, though, is we're being pushed in a way that we weren't before, and that's with uh, their publicly traded companies. You want to buy stock in companies? I think you can do it. Some of these are out there. And uh, one of the things that happened is somebody said, um, cast aspersions on the accuracy of the editing process, and uh, the scientists and the companies came after them, like you, know, like you had kicked a beehive of Africanized honeybees, and they were on these guys. And one of the things that came out is it said something bad, and our stock price, our stocks dropped two points, and it's like $5 million down the drain or something. Ridiculous amount. Yeah. But now we have this corporate aspect that we never had before. You know, I thought, what what is that going to do to us? Not good things, dude. They don't care about people. Like they just want to make money, and they want to make money like right away. That's. It's funny. I'm not really against corporations, but I'm against the. So they seem to have fallen into this trap of like they need they need to. I mean, maybe it's always been this way, but it seems like I've noticed it more as I've gotten older. But it's like they just short term. They need short-term gains all the time, and it's like they never seem to take a long view of anything. Well, it's um, – I, I agree. The um, When corporate interests and the public interest align, it's a beautiful thing. But sometimes they're not quite identical. Yeah. And that can create some interesting situations where maybe they're – angling or pushing for things that aren't quite ready to really go, but what the heck. Um, I think that we can probably, at, at this stage, I don't see any reason not to trust um, the entities, the companies that have formed, to be very careful. And, uh, and I think they will be, uh, and their prime thing will be, yeah, we want to make money, but we also can't have issues. We can't have disasters. So I think they're going to be very, very diligent to be sure that they're being ex- as careful as they can be, recognizing that there's always an element of risk with, with research and clinical treatments, for example. But uh, I'm hoping that that holds. And I don't see any reason at this stage to see why it wouldn't. Uh, what I worry about, honestly, are kind of the, the companies that are more on the fringe. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if you're worried. Was the guy that injected himself? With uh, genes to uh, build uh, muscle mass. Heard about he, this guy, yeah. Yeah, he did it on YouTube, and there. Did it work? Another, I don't. I doubt it, to be honest. All right, but uh, you don't I, know. I, I, no, I. I Is that from one of those take-home kits you were talking about? Uh, yeah, he he's done all kinds of interesting things. He's uh, changed out his microbiome, his gut flora, uh, in a very interesting way. Uh, because he feels that some of his health problems were due to uh, uh, basically a bad microbiome. And there, and there may be something to that. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I just will tell you that it's uh, probably not a good idea to do what he's doing. The thing is that uh, the efficacy is completely not established. Uh, so I have not heard one way or the other how he fared. I hope he didn't get an infection or something. What but, could happen? Uh, could he get, like, wicked sick somehow? Is anyone, did we even know? No, I think that's unlikely. In terms, could of he turn into like a giant muscle? Could he like, like pop out like the Michelin Man? Yeah, well, in, well, in theory. But um, 
I I don't think we have to worry about that one either because I don't believe these will go very far. Yeah. In the body, so he might get really ripped with like one little part of his abdomen looking really muscular. Yeah. And that'd be about it. But the thing that that I would worry about is um, getting an infection from the injection. You know, not not knowing what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, it could happen. Uh, other people have uh, have they have diseases. They have. Um, indicated that this person indicated that, that she has a, a condition that leads to premature aging, and so she took a treatment yeah. uh, unauthorized by the FDA. But you can, I guess you can do what you want to yourself. So. Right, right. Well, that's the other part, yeah. Is it going to be, could they regulate it like that? Or, or is it well, going to be, if, if, if people can mess around with it on their own? <laughs> like, is it going to be like an herbal thing? This is, this is a good point. Uh, and if you'd like to see, I've got lots what, of them. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to to have an example of how things can uh, get kind of complicated, uh, have a look at stem cell therapies and how the FDA was hands off, and now they're they're thinking they got to be more hands on. Uh, so stem cells, another uh, sort of area that that had shown great promise. Uh, but it needs a lot of research, and and yeah, you never hear about that anymore. That was supposed to be that was supposed to be the CRISPR before CRISPR, it seems. Or that was going to be really like the was. big thing. And and it does indeed have some uses. Uh, uh, I know uh, one of our friends got uh, multiple myeloma, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, which is basically uh, I think still considered a death sentence. But uh, he had the um, the cells from his body collected. And I thought they said stem cell, but uh, what you do is you get, uh, I think in, in the simplest uh, sort of situation is you just collect basically the, the marrow that will produce the blood, vessel, blood uh, cells, take that out of the body and hold it, and then you give this person a dose that, that's lethal and, yeah. uh, and then reperfuse them. And what I think he said was uh, he got his own stem cells back, and it was a miracle. He, he was failing. He was he was uh, really not doing very well, and he's still alive. And he's you know he's traveled to Australia twice. Wow. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, over two years. So uh, you, you know some of these things uh, undoubtedly the ability to manipulate cells, uh, progenitor cells, stem cells, and others uh, have been very important. Uh, the the protocol is dangerous. I'm not going to kid you that there's a lot of ways to die doing this. Yeah. But uh, there have been a lot of uh, clinics that have sprung up, and uh, at one time, uh, they were not allowed here in the U.S., so people were going to Argentina and other places. We yeah. We had other friends, uh, and one treatment that she got, a friend of ours, was um, uh, fat that they processed in some way and then re-injected, and she insisted it, it helped her. She had pulmonary fibrosis. Yeah. And it did, it did seem like she, she was better for about a year, and then uh, they couldn't save her wow. after that. But she couldn't. She had to go to Argentina because it couldn't be done here. And then later on, uh, they've been more permissive. They have these operations spring up, and they have different standards apparently. So I, I do not know how the FDA is going to solve this, and I don't know if that'll make them take a harder stance uh, with CRISPR. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's funny. I'm, I was joking kind of about earlier about uh, UFOs. How they how it's taken them so long they can't solve UFOs and all the other mysteries on the show too, 
And it's, uh, you know, more is coming up as I'm talking to you in a sense where it's like they haven't cured cancer. I, I remember when I started the show, it was like this nanotechnology was supposed to be, it was going to change the world. And it was like stem sure. cells are going to change the world. And it's like now CRISPR is going to change the world. And it's been like 15 years since I got into this stuff. And it's like the world's changed, but not thanks to those things and not in a good way. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting in a sense. That's kind of why I, I rage against NASA and scientists and stuff, because it's like, you stop promising me as fantastic things as the UFO people do and not and, and not delivering here. When, when are you going to change the world with this shit? Yeah, yeah but, but, but dude, it, if I don't make fantastical problems, you won't give me any more money. You know? That's or, true. I guess, fantastical projections, I should say, not problems. Yeah, like promises. But, uh, like, you know, this nanotechnology, it's like... I'm sure they're using it in some places and, and shit, but it's like this isn't, you know, my candy bar wrapper is not engineered with nanotechnology or anything. No, but isn't it in microbeads for detergents or for skin scrubbers or anything? Isn't that in the environment and it's oh. all going to kill us? Yeah, isn't that nanotechnology too? Yeah, isn't it? I, I yeah, it's not, I don't know. Broadly defined maybe. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There's There's hope and then there's hype. And uh, uh, we do, we often uh, pretty freely accuse certain people of being uh, charlatans and uh, hucksters or whatnot, but there's a strong element of this in mainstream science as well. And so getting publicity and being enthused about your project, uh, uh, and then, you know, the, the implications are, yeah, they're, they're important, but it's hard to put a timeline on it, as you can see. And so sometimes we, we let our enthusiasm get the better of us. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, that's that's how we turn the buck in science, the grants, grants and contracts. So so the scientists are just as, uh, they're just as carnivalesque as the, as the paranormalists so when you get down <laughs> to it at the end of the day. I would, I would, uh, I would hesitate to say. They're close. Science. They're like cousins in a in, <laughs> Carnival cousins. <laughs> so, okay, I'm go- I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that on one end of the scale we have Jaime Musson, and on the other end of the scale maybe Paul Berg, and there is quite a range between them. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're not dissimilar. They're not dissimilar if you think about it. Anyway. They uh, have attributes yeah. in common. Okay. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not much. <laughs> no, no. Except they do have, you know, they do call all call themselves scientists, <laughs> as I joked sure. earlier. Now, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, we'll move on from medicine uh, momentarily, at least, because um, uh, I, I joked with you setting up the interview. You have the the the, the the rational mind of a scientist, but also the the lizard brain of a of a paranormalist, as I joked with you. Thanks <laughs> again. This is the connection. This is the perfect segue. So, uh, I was talking about how I got an Alexa on my year in review show uh, with Greg Bishop uh, that the MP3s will be posted on momentarily, and um, so we, you know, I got a lot of grief on Twitter from our buddy Adam Go Rightly about it, and it started this whole like chain of conversations. It sparked a lot of conversation, let's say. So when I was looking at what to talk about with you, it was like this seems right up Tyler's alley because I'm sure he has an opinion on it, and it's like uh, it's pretty 
you know, it's, it's as cutting edge as CRISPR is, these uh, talking things. So what do you think of these, uh, this, this integration of, like, uh, digital assistants, they're calling them? Uh, in principle, they, they should be a great labor-saving device. Uh, the idea, like, uh, you probably are too young to remember, but way back in the day when I started uh, to do library research, I had to go to the library and dig for the stacks and pull all this stuff out. Now Google has it right there for me. Yeah. And, and most of the articles just leap up. I mean, huge labor savings. This could be just as, as mind-bending because you could start in principle to ask these devices to search PubMed and find this for you and, and you know, give you a link or display it in theory I mean, someday. And, uh, wow, that would be great. But um, just let me warn you, I'm not even on Facebook. Yeah, you're not. So uh, uh, there's a lot of technology I, I do not use. But whatever I need to be competitive at work, that's about it. Well, you you are on Twitter, so. See, there's that. And what what's the advantage of Twitter? You I can mean, talk it, to the president. Just, it, yeah, yeah, you, you actually could uh, and get you know, blocked by him. Uh, the uh, uh, thing is, though, you can you can go ahead and, for me, in the morning, if I follow certain accounts, yeah. two minutes, I know exactly what the breaking news is. Right, the convenience. Across the board. Though. Across the board. So that's wonderful. And then I can, you know, watch uh, Go Rightly uh, say something ridiculous and then, you know, be all over that. Yeah, exactly. Well, how about this? Let me reposition this in a sense because uh, the, the, the big – Critique on these things is like that they're listening to you, you know, because they are listening to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's like so, you know, that makes people really, really uneasy. That's like everything I keep hearing. You're like, how the fuck can you do that? And it's like, I'm just in my kitchen, ma'am. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't talk like, uh, you know, I don't I don't plot things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So to me, and in my rationalization, you know, more I thought about it since this all came up last week was like also that, um, and I said this on the show, but maybe not in as clear terms. It's like the they're already listening to us. I, I believe if you have a cell phone, they have the same capability as, as the little Alexa I have. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, can, I'm sure of it. Yeah. So if they want to listen to you. <laughs> They've probably already been listening to you all along. It's like the old adage, like the technology we get is the technology they've had for like a generation. It's like yeah. – so they've probably had this Alexa thing. And they're probably like, let's just give them that thing that you can talk to and it will play music whenever you want. You know, just get – can we just release that finally so I can, you know, have it in my house instead of the office here at Area 51? <laughs> I, uh, I I understand. Uh, I'll just tell you that the the biggest worry that I have, and it's not it's not linked necessarily to Alexa, but uh, even things like Apple Watches, uh, you don't want to reveal uh, too much. So I would be worried about information leaks, and I don't know like if Alexa if you have to uh, to get that device's attention if it's say Alexa, you know, find this or whatever. Uh, if they they don't pay any attention until they hurt hear that, and then they parse everything after for a while. Uh, but the thing that I would worry about is if they could record a lot of information and sift through it. So let's just say, take, turn it back to genetics. Yeah. Uh, right now, in the U.S., you are, your genetic information it is protected by the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. 
that they can't take that information and use it against you, say they discriminate uh, for hiring for you. But one of the things that's um, interesting is with a stroke of a pen, all those laws can change. Yeah. And so people come to know somehow that you've had genomic screening, screening done or you know, genetic testing done, all those things. Uh, they may know to ask exactly the right question when you come in and, and apply for long-term health care, for example, and, uh, and say, oh, by the way, have you had a genetic test done? And they already know the answer and you lie, you're done, you know. Uh, they already know the answer and they can get it, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, they, they know what to do. Well, what do you I think of the other thing then? Because there's other people that the other, the other thing that people are like super paranoid about is the 23andMe thing. Are you against 23andMe? Not particularly. Yeah. I'm not particularly for it either. I don't uh, know how accurate the. Uh, would you do would one? Do, have you done one? I have not. Uh, my wife has. Ah. And she was able to discover a cousin that she didn't know that that she had. And it did work because she found uh, one of the matches, you know, these people may be related to you or however they put it, uh, who was a known uh, relative. It was her niece. Mm. And so it does does work. Uh, I would use the the service for genealogy. Uh, The thing to be aware of is uh, they have aspirations to sell a lot more. Uh, health information, for example. And so uh, there's a gene, uh, APOE4, if you, you happen to have that allele, your risk for having Alzheimer's disease develop yeah. and develop a little bit early goes goes up. And so what you have to watch out for, though, is you need to be counseled appropriately about this is a risk factor, not a prediction. And so a lot of people have that gene, and they never get Alzheimer's disease. They die of something else. Yeah. And that these are hard things to get across. Uh, in particular, I'd say that if you're going to get this information, you need to get some counseling with it. Oh, wait. So, that, so it comes with like the – it comes, you know, with like a little sheet with the results, and it's like you could get Alzheimer's? It would – in principle. Now, I don't know what uh, genetic tests, uh, medical tests they have been allowed to pursue. Some, yeah. as I understand it. And one of the first ones that comes to my mind is, is the Alzheimer's APOE gene, uh, for many years that's been known to the research community. And uh, uh, people have used it in research. Like we, whenever we do a brain and process it for Alzheimer's disease pathology, we always have the APOE genotype. We just keep track of that data. And sometimes it's informative for us. Yeah. But in terms of, of using it as a predictive tool, it was considered weak enough that the, I think it was the Genetic Society of America basically said, no, don't, don't sell this test to the general public. It, it, we're not ready for that yet. There's too, many, too many freakouts, too many variables, too many just unknowns about why some people get it and, and others don't. Uh, so it, it, it's just not a real easy thing. The problem is genes are not destiny. That your environment plays, your lifestyle, uh, what you eat, you know, how much you exercise, you don't exercise, all these things enter in. It's very hard yeah. to uh, give somebody a real risk. That's what I'd say is the downside for the, the medically oriented one. For the um, genealogies, the uh, histories, family histories, uh, just be aware that very likely if you go to 23andMe and then Ancestry.com or somebody else, you may get different answers. 
No. And, and that's because they're probably, now this, this is supposition on my part. I don't know what their uh, actual markers are and their methods of um, analysis and what their cutoffs are. Yes, yeah, pure speculation, are, folks, so don't sue us, well, Adrian and me. Yeah, right. just be aware that you yeah. know, nothing, none of these are perfect, and as far as I know, none of them claim to be. So you take this uh, and say, this is, this is what we found. Uh, these are what we believe you know, are, are your uh, origins, if you want to put it that way. Oh. And remember, it's, it's talking um, basically geographic locations, which uh, it, we can see certain associations and markers uh, more frequently in one place or another, but they're not absolute. Right. And, and I, I imagine that that's what you're told in the product insert as well. Yeah. But I, I think you'll find that they're not going to give you ironclad one answer across the board. I, I would be really shocked if they did. Yeah, you know what it is, though? It's like, to me, it's like akin to, it's it's like a scientific version of, like, past life regression or something. Have you seen Much the commercials? Scientific. <laughs> yes, I realize that, but it's like, have you, like the commercials where it's like, they traced it all the way back, and I'm George Washington's nephew. It's like that's it's it's just it's it really is if you look at it through that lens that's like exactly what it is it's like people they they it it's a scientific version of past life regression. Well, there's um, maybe you've seen this where uh, people uh, is this just my own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. So again, please nobody sue Tim or me. Um, but I'll be retired, and if you're retired, they can't sue you. That's what I was told. <laughs> that's what I was told. Oh yeah, okay, so great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like quality legal advice. Uh, the uh, the commercials that that I've seen have been uh, a little on the horrific side, and so Jesus, what they, commercials have you seen? Well, see, here's here's the deal that that somebody gets their ancestry, and, and they thought just to pick one, uh, they all these years were Irish. Right. In actual yeah. fact, the profile says that uh, I am, uh, my ancestors came from Spain. And so they abandon all of their Irish habits, accoutrement, all that stuff, and they begin to act as if they were from Spain or dress as if they were from Spain. And that, Yeah, but only uh, in the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of really the wrong way uh, to look at how genetics works unless yeah. you believe that uh you know being irish is a genetic condition okay and i don't think that we do that uh you know a lot of the human behaviors are, are different from what our genes necessarily tell us you know yeah. culture plays in there so it's not a very enlightened way in, in my opinion to uh, market these things but certainly that's how people will take it in the, and that's what they're interested in so uh, Got to sell them, you know. Yeah, interesting. I just came up with a genius idea since. Uh oh. Yeah, since we're you know I'll I'll occasionally do some kind of shows in the future. I'm sure of that. So next time we chat, we'll build up. We'll build it. I'll take the risk, folks. I'll 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 take the leap of faith. I'll pee in the box or whatever the thing is, and uh, I'll. <laughs> have you seen that commercial? That's like the. Um, it's for some other. It's for a gut test. But it's like you yeah. poop you poop in a box and you mail it. I, I mean, we talked about this on the show, all this, the fecal, <laughs> the fecal aspect of uh, of science. Um, but but there's actually like a, some kind of thing. I'm sure you know about this thing, right? That you yeah like, yeah yeah yeah. 
that's why I made that joke. Um, the so yeah, so I'll do the twenty three and me, and then we'll do like some we'll do like a Maury Povich reveal uh, special <laughs> with you. We'll call it Banal Origins. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And we'll okay. and we'll like we'll open the envelope and we'll figure out we'll find out where where my ancestry is. What what do you think it is now? If you, if you had to tell somebody, I'm under the impression that it's like English and Canadian and a little French. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. So then, if we find and out, Irish and Irish. Yeah. Well, this is the thing is that the the diaspora of some of these groups is amazing. You know, so the Irish have traveled across the planet, you know, out of need to survive, actually. So they're well represented uh, elsewhere. But, yeah, so what you'll have to do is if we find something contrary, then you must agree to adopt that lifestyle. <laughs> what do you mean the lifestyle, though? What does that mean? <laughs> it's, so let's just say that we find out that you actually were uh, sprung from Basque sheep herders, then you must... Yeah, like I'm Mongolian. Yeah, go back. That would be awesome. So (laughs) you have to live in a yurt or whatever. Whatever. You you must revert. See, we should have saved this. I should have come up with this idea like a month ago and then saved our interview for during the Olympics. We could have done a show on the night night of the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. (laughs) Well, yeah, we could have gotten the holiday uh, special pricing, too. Oh, that's true. That's true. So, uh, I well, guess we could always, you know, ask for money on uh, um, one of the uh, uh, services that allow us to collect money. I know a guy with an email list. Yeah, yeah, but he won't give us any money. <laughs> no, no, no. He only wants money. Um, <clears throat> so you're not worried about the Alexa spying on people, and you uh, you think the 23andMe has some so, yeah, I kind of agree with you in a sense. I mean, that's why I'm leaning in on this, on the Alexa. And uh, and I would do the 23andMe. To me, it's like, this is just the direction of the world, guys. You know, lean in. I held out on getting a cell phone forever, and I feel like a moron because, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't been, I haven't been, you know, taken to a black site by the CIA because I have a paranormal podcast. It's like... Uh, yeah. People need a little perspective. They're not. They're. They're really not upending the paradigm. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that I would really worry about um, personal privacy and uh, medical information yeah. getting out. But you know, your Apple Watch can tell on you. Uh, if you if you look at some of the the apps that they're talking about, and, and these can be very important. Here, here's the double-edged sword. That you could monitor activities of somebody with, say, Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's and see how many steps they take per day. The Apple Watch reports that. And then the doctor remotely uh, or the physician assistant or whomever is watching, social worker, could see, like, oh, my God, this person's not moving around. Get in touch and say, is everything okay? Oh, well, I had a fall. So, you know, right away that's important. But the other thing is that uh, somebody interested in, in marketing uh, could get that information. As I understand it, uh, there are very few constraints on what can happen from health app information uh, like those devices that uh, uh, we just don't have many rules and regulations. Yeah. Look, Todd, 
I know you're a big conspiracy theorist, okay? And you believe everything, man. It's not you're true. so naive, man. There are no aliens in Roswell, and contact lenses aren't made out of amoebas. They are, they too, are, dude. dude. Hey, did you see that? What? Chupacabra. He just ran down the aisle, Todd. You better find him. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. My favorite correspondent who sends me the best information, Jeb Card, he listens to some of these uh, radio shows, and he listened to Banal of America. Is that how you pronounce it, Tim Banal? I don't. I never listened to it, but no uh, idea. Here's the thing. I'm gonna just. <laughs> I'm turning into like a New World Order show uh, live on the air, but it's like, I, I hear your concerns about. Like, oh, it's going to get – because he said – this has come up a couple times now. Like, oh, it's going to get into the hands of of uh, companies and stuff. It's like, you know, so if I, like, say I like apple pies and then the Alexa, like, um, makes a pop-up on my Facebook that is a, for an apple pie company, it's like, so, so what? To me, that's, that's like I get, why, I get why people might be freaked out by it, but it's like, hey, I was talking about apple pie. It's good. Now I know yeah. where I can get – yeah. Apple pie. That's I have no complaints about about that kind of thing. I think you're absolutely right for the most part. It, it's a benefit. It's a net benefit for us as as consumers. But I will caution you that uh, sometimes these these sorts of uh, data points can be used in interesting ways. Uh, if you think about it, you know what insurance actuaries do? Yeah, they like. Uh, it's hard to explain. I, I kind of know. I'm sure you. Can. Yeah, but. Yeah. If you're going to buy a life insurance policy, they look at your age, your habits, uh, if you, they know about your parents or whatever. But basically, they're going to write a policy that's based on some sort of quantitation of the risk that you have of dying in a certain period of time. Right, risk and assessment over, kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. And over time, with enough people, the actuaries will uh, win those bets. And these are bets uh, enough to make a profit for the company. Now, let's go back and do now now remember we're in the era of big data now and so we see that Tim orders a lot of apple pies and his apple Fitbit or whatever is telling us uh he's not moving around very much and <laughs> we you know and, and and so anyway the long yeah, shot of it sitting is sitting around eating apple pies what yeah like a glutton slothfully and then, yeah but then, then somebody could go back and say, now let's calculate his heart attack risk and get that and, and put it out there, uh, broker data, okay? And so you, you're you uh, looking for a job, and you show up and you apply, and then you get into HR, and they, they you know, what's the social security number, and zippity-doo-dah, here comes a profile of somebody's estimate of your risk, and you never talk to them, you never authorize. It's kind of like the, the credit companies. Who was it, Experian, that got hacked? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was upset because I thought they were going to charge me to fix the problem that they created. And these are people that I never authorized to have my data, handle my data, do anything with my data. That happened for me in the background without my knowledge. I guess this is how the world works, but it had consequences for me. Yeah. So, you know, it's that, that sort of thing that we're we're in an area now where, we can gather vast amounts of data and, and correlate it to the right person and kind of hone it down and use it in amazing ways. And predictive powers are going to be amazing. So that, that's what I'd say that, yeah, most of the data is not a problem, but uh, put together it might pre, you know, paint a picture that somebody could use in a way you hadn't thought of. Yet. And that, that's what worries me. So 
Is that paranoid? Hell yes. Yeah. Well, it connects to, this is like the night of buzzwords. It like connects to like machine learning and that kind of thing where it's like, if these things can synthesize a shitload of data, then they can, you know, they, they, we joked about, about sort of the 23andMe being like past life regression. These things can, you know, AI could be like a, like a scientific version of a psychic where it's like, you're almost certainly going to die in February of 2025. Yeah. Yeah. It's minority report for real. Yeah. Yeah, you're thinking of something bad, Tim. We're going to have to incarcerate you. So, although that would be a pretty safe bet anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to stay one step ahead of the computers, man. <laughs> Always. So, that's but, why, that's know, why I brought Alexa into my life. I'm I'm turning double agent. Wow. Yeah. Fast. She's out of the room, so I can so I can <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's these things that that uh, the technology. Uh, it's going back to CRISPR. So one of the things that, that we talk about, this is what we're going to do with it. These are the projects today. But what will happen is we will build on things, modify things in ways that the creators can't envision because it's too far down the road. Yeah. And, and that's the great thing about human ingenuity. It's also sometimes not so great. But, um, you know, we can't necessarily stop everything good because somebody might come up with uh, nefarious use. Uh, I mean, we're just in that, those kinds of times. What do you think of that Russian doctor who's trying to do a head transplant? Yeah, isn't that... Uh, isn't that <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, I was talking about earlier, about, like, sort of this, you know, they're going to go to different countries to do stuff. Like, I, I think he's a Russian doctor, and I think he's doing it in China with, like, a team yeah, of, like, rogue, rogue surgeons, like, you know, from all over the world. It's. Uh, uh, I think you're right that he's he's gone to another location. Didn't they? Wasn't the last uh, attempt? Didn't they take a cadaver and and put it on? Um, yeah, they successfully. So. He claims successfully transplanted the head of like two cadavers. You know, like from one from one dead person to another dead person's body, like to show yeah. that he could do to show that he could make the connection uh, cleanly or whatever. So, uh, and uh, I think before that he did the he did a, a live mouse one. But, right. So he's getting right. closer. I think he's intimated that it could be like within a couple of years. And then it's like, what happens then, dude? <laughs> like, you know, like I guess people, I guess people are gonna, you know, want they'll desperately want that if you're like paralyzed or something like that. Uh, possibly, if they could, and it, it's a, a big if, if they could actually uh, connect it in such a way that it would function or build functionality around it. Yeah, uh, as we're doing now for some of the people with with paralyzed limbs. But uh, uh, yeah, my my question would be is if you if you put uh, the head of a vegan onto somebody's body who uh, lived on Big Macs, Ding Dongs, and Ho Hos, uh, would the vegan survive? You know, or if you have both heads there, would this person be able to dictate the diet for the other guy? You know. Well, that's like there's got to be a book at least about, on that whole thing about like transplants and things that transfer over in the transplant. You've heard about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's got to yeah, be at least at least one book on that because I've heard like a million sort of urban legends and old stories and cobbled up tales that uh, you know talk about that kind of thing. Well, there are there are some interesting observations, and uh, one of the things that uh, is somewhat related is uh, parabiosis, where if you if you kind of merge an old animal with a young animal, the old animal's issues kind of reverse; it becomes younger. 
Uh, and so the, the idea would be that, you know, these are life-extending treatments. Uh, maybe we could find a way to simply exchange uh, life support systems when I think of it that way. Uh, that would be difficult right now. But, um, you know, it's hard to imagine where you'd be getting bodies. Uh, and I'm sure the black market would move to solve. Again, yeah, see, this goes back to my – this is, in a way, a perfect sort of, like, uh, theme for this episode being like at the end of this journey of shows because it's like for all – again, I give you all this grief on Twitter jokingly about science and scientists and stuff, and it's like there's another thing. When I was younger, it was like they're going to grow livers and hearts and labs, and you're just going to be able to go down to the hospital, and they'll put a new one in. And it's like you can't – they don't do that, right? I can't <laughs> – I haven't needed a liver yet, but I can't go to the hospital and just get one, Correct. Right, today. Okay, so... But, uh, but someday, right? Someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, George Church uh, of Harvard, uh, one of the leading Christian guys, among other things, uh, is proposing uh, xenotransplantation. So uh, basically uh, fixing pigs so that uh, viruses and things that might infect us are no longer affected. So the idea, like we were talking about HIV-1, you go out and get rid of them. You engineer them out. And so these animals are basically safe for yeah. us. Uh, and so then we could uh, use their organ. In, in principle, we may come up with ways to modify their organs so that they're remarkably like ours right. and uh, eliminate uh, even the uh, transplantation rejection. These would be tremendous advances. So you, you can see why people are interested and excited. And, man, Tim, it's coming fast. I, don't, I know, Tyler, but they were interested and excited like 10 years ago, just like people were like excited about Stephenville. And it's, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all still, we're all still standing, uh, you know. <laughs> I would, if I had a million years, I would never have come up with that analogy. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. So <laughs> I thought you would. Uh, so yeah, so that that that's and that's not necessarily a slam on science. It's just a slam, I think, as you said earlier. It's like a slam on on the nature of the world, where it's like you know we, we it's hard to it's hard to get a grip on these things, folks. The big the big mysteries and the little mysteries. And you know, as I was talking to Tyler, I'm looking at my Twitter. And it's like people are eating Tide pods. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, um, does that kind of give you indigestion? I, I haven't done potent. it. Have you? Yeah. <clears throat> but somebody pointed out, like, I don't know about you, but they do look delicious. Well, actually, this has been a problem with little kids. I know. That's the weird part. I don't know why it's now. It's always been a problem with little kids, but now it's like uh, apparently the cool thing to do is to eat is to eat pods. I can't imagine that would do anything but burn you, burn you your sick. esophagus. Yeah, all the way down. Well, it could be worse than that. You could have some permanent damage, but uh, you might uh, even die. Uh, yeah, if you're lucky, you know. Well, that, yeah, being... I just somebody posted a picture that they have like I don't know if you like uh, if you go to the CVS to get like razor blades because they're so expensive, they keep them behind the behind like a plastic <laughs> thing. Uh, <laughs> they have the pods now behind plastic because uh, apparently I don't know they don't want kids coming in and stealing pods. Wow. What is wrong oh, with wow. the, you know, we don't deserve nanotechnology and, and 
and CRISPR and all this stuff, dude. We're eating pods. Well, yeah, it's that interesting. Uh, so, yes, mankind forges ahead. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. It's yeah, really, I, uh, it's it's just funny, you know. I was, uh, the, the thing is that you can, um, I, I had to call it candor, but you can recognize the interests of the average person. And one of those things that we would like, I think many people would like to have are very long and healthy lives so that you could live 100 years and be very active. Like when you were 20, that would be wonderful. Uh, and so we'll do a lot and we'll pay a lot to have those things. And what I get concerned by is every now and then some shysters come up with ways to sell unproven stem cell therapies and uh, you know, I know I've complained a lot about uh, some of the people in ecology, but uh, there's plenty of other examples out there, and, uh, and they're not always very savory. But uh, we have um, some companies that are uh, considered fringy, but in, uh, uh, do try to they, they do deliver what they they can promise. Or, uh, the uh, I don't know if you've heard of Alcor, and they're in Scottsdale. It sounds and, familiar. Yeah, they freeze people. And so oh, the idea they cryogenics? Is, yes. And so they'll hold them in cold storage until such time that there's a cure for whatever killed them. Now, I don't know how they're going to bring them back, but um, they've been talking for quite a few years about these protocols, and, and certainly they have many takers. And, uh, and you know, these people are volunteering, and, and they know that they're, they're going to expire, uh, but they're, they're buying a promise. And I guess there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And as far as I know, Alcor delivers what they say that they will deliver, that they've got you preserved as best they can, and, uh, and then they'll, you know, do whatever they can in the future. But uh, the other thing with uh, the parabiosis is people are buying plasma from young donors. Yeah. And there's a company in California that will perfuse you. They, they get they I think I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't, like, some super rich people from – from Silicon Valley do this kind of thing where they get young people's blood injected into them? So I'm told. Now, it's, it's not really young people's blood, but plasma. Yeah, whatever, so you know. They, but the, um, tomato, like 8, tomato. 000, yeah, 8,000 a pop. And, uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, but the thing that's interesting is that plasma is really going to stay resident and active, whatever's in it, if, we, if antibodies indicate what, uh, what the story is, 60 to 90 days. So you've got to come back three, four times a year. Oh, of course. It's regular treatments, yeah. 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 Now, will it work? You know, uh, uh, boy, I, I don't know. It's just creepy. But, the f- <laughs> who is, but, yeah. People will do it. I, they, I they They'll do anything to stay alive forever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like, I'm sure – I, I went down like a tangent in my mind as I was setting up this question. I should just like unfold it as I talk to you. Uh, but it's like I was going to say, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to ensure that you'd be okay when they unfreeze you, you would go in, you would like roll the dice and be like, all right, I'm like 70, I'm doing okay, I don't have any major problems. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, you know, put it on layaway here. I'm gonna go in and freeze now. <laughs> I'm gonna go in and freeze now, so when they unfreeze me, I'll be I'll be perfectly fine. I won't have uh, all these I won't have any of these terminal diseases that they may or may not ever cure, or you know what I'm saying. So I'm just gonna yeah. go in now. 
But then yeah. it's like I thought about that, but then, <laughs> then I'm like people get frozen all the time by accident, and they don't like thaw out. So I don't know. <laughs> now this has been an awfully long time uh, ago, and so I, maybe somebody can can check me on this or, or knows uh, in amongst your listeners. But I thought I heard uh, a company in California that many, many years ago did such a thing with people who were, I believe, uh, terminally ill but not really uh, dead yet, and they gave them the chance to kind of put themselves to sleep. And I think, if I recall right, that this company ultimately failed, and they, they didn't buy the liquid nitrogen, and all the, the bodies thawed out. Somebody found what? Accident. Yeah. Jesus. This is a long time ago, so I, I'm not sure I'm remembering everything correctly. I'll try and uh, Google was, that. That's crazy. If I was, if if I remembered accurately, uh, there was great concern about the idea of freezing someone before they had been declared dead. Now, Alcor does not do that. They they wait right, for right. a formal declaration of death. They're ready right. at that time. And then they can begin their process, but they do not do anything until the, the person is declared legally dead. Yeah. And that's that's their their way of working. Do these places so. ever, like, explain the thaw-out process? Because, like, as I said, like, you know, people, people die all the time by being frozen, and they don't ever – you know, we don't uh, clearly do not have the scientific means to to revive a frozen person. So, how, what are the, what's the justification or the uh, explanation from these companies on how they plan, or is that what they're doing while we're all frozen? So they're, they're, well, of, they're working on figuring out how to how to unfreeze people. One of the, the things that they do is they prep the the person for the freezing, so that you don't get a lot of damage uh, to the cells as yeah. the ice crystals form. They try to perfuse them with cryopreservatives and make sure that when the freezing comes, that we we don't damage the tissues. So yeah, you get a nice, of, healthy freeze. Yes, that's part of the process. Uh, these things, in terms of, of their work and worth, we can freeze cells, individual cells, uh, uh, for decades, long periods of time. And I used to do this when I started out in graduate school. I had a, a virus that would only grow in uh, kidney cells that had only been divided four or five times. And, and uh, after that, they, they lost the ability to uh, propagate the virus. So we would get those. Uh, they came from spontaneously aborted uh, babies, and we would freeze those down and store them forever and then open them up as needed. And you just put them in a the Petri dish, plop them in the, into the medium, and it was as if nothing had happened to them. Yeah. They were right back in the tank. So in theory, you know, you should be able to do that for the whole body. It's just a lot more difficult to perfuse like a whole brain, for example, uh, and do it right. It's, anyway, we're, we're, you know, we're getting there. We're trying, trying to unfreeze these thing. people, yeah. Yeah, but I think what they'll tell you is when people freeze to death by accident, they really weren't prepared. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, the damage <laughs> pretty bad. You know, yeah, so. I don't mean to laugh at people who get frozen to death, but... It's yeah. a it's a small pool of people, and you know it's a very uh, bizarre predicament. And <laughs> it is a predicament. So yeah, uh, for sure. It's like that's uh, one of those ways. It's like one of those things. Like, how would you like to die? It's like uh, I think freezing to death wouldn't be as wouldn't be nearly as bad as some of the other ways. So you know. Yeah. Uh, it's slow yeah. though. 
Yeah, hopefully you kind of become unaware. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I heard you get sleepy. I know that you, I know that you start taking your clothes off for like uh, paradoxical undressing. It's called. Huh. Yeah, because huh. the blood rushes from your heart out to your other to your outside extremities to leave the last gasp to warm them up, and uh, you get super hot, and so you wow. f- you freak out and take all your clothes off, and that's why they find that's why when they find people that are frozen, why am I laughing? I'm such an asshole. When they find people who are frozen to death, they're like they have taken off their clothes. It's like all and it frustrated like befuddles people. Oh well, I yeah. can only tell you that when I've been camping and uh, and really really cold, I I can't sleep. And, and I don't know if that's nature trying to get you to move around and twitch your muscles and manufacture heat, but yeah, I I tend to stay up most of the night and then try to sleep in the sun, and the next day if you know if possible. But uh, that's why I'm not a great camper. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's not really fun. Camping, yeah. Out in the desert, you go out in the desert to camp a lot or what? Uh, on occasion, on occasion. Uh, yeah. Winter out here is a bit better than summer. Uh, one of the problems uh, with uh, summertime is that there's, you'd be surprised how many uh, bugs and critters there are that want to share your sleeping bag with you, and they're all active in summer, and uh, less so in the winter. So, uh, that makes so, sense. Uh, can, yeah, so that's not it, that surprising. I mean, it's it's uh, are you so off the wall? I'm sorry. Are you? Have you ever thought about? You should go after that guy's gold. Aren't you out where that guy hit, hit his gold? Oh, you lost Dutchman's mine. No, uh, the the Finn treasure. Oh, the the yeah. Now isn't that reputed to be New Mexico? Haven't they centered primarily? On oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I don't actually know anyone that has gone after that. Uh, in Arizona, the most common thing uh, is the Lost Dutch and the Vine and the Superstition Mountains, and uh, which are absolutely beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's a wonderful place, but uh, it can also be a little bit dangerous. But uh, I think uh, Fife Symington, who was governor of Arizona when we had the Phoenix Lights, yeah. I think he mentioned that uh, part of the allure for Arizona for him was the lost Dutchman mine and, and trying to find that gold. But, yeah, many people have tried and uh, and no luck. Uh, there's, but the history there is, is long, hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, the Peralta Trail and these places uh, where uh, where I was at last time uh, in uh, the western desert, uh, there's the Sonoran Desert National Monument, uh, there's the Anza Trail. And uh, that uh, was, and the Butterfield stage line was part of that. These were uh, used by the Spanish back and forth when there was nothing, you know, but uh, a few missions. Yeah. So the, the history is long. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know you wanted to talk about this uh, this Tom DeLonge. We should stop calling it the Tom DeLonge thing. The New York Times, the <laughs> Pentagon, the UFO thing. Um, we touched on it on the year in review, but you're – You've been into this for a while, and uh, well, for a long time actually. I was looking at your bio uh, to refresh my memory on your on your academia uh, situation, and I noticed that. Uh, well, I guess I was reminded that um, that you've been interested in this for like decades now, and sort yeah. of just came out of the shadows as a UFO uh, enthusiast. I guess I don't know what you'd call it. Someone intrigued by the mystery uh, in the last few years. Well, it's uh, yeah. it, it's been something uh, I remember when I was a kid in the '60s. The whole situation <laughs> with UFOs 
very, very different. It almost uh, completely foreign to somebody today who look back. Uh, they were taken a lot more seriously. There was a lot more effort to, to understand them. Uh, and there was quite a bit in the papers. But I, I actually saw uh, Frank Edwards uh, talking about his book, Flying Saucers, Serious Business. And I must have been 12 and uh, on TV. Yeah. And and that was a paperback. It was like 50, 75 cents, something like that, which was well within my means to buy. I, I bought that at Man Tim for a couple of years. I read everything I could get on, yeah. on UFOs, everything UFO. And, uh, it never really left me, um, but it, it was uh, well suppressed, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, well, in the scientific community. Uh, yeah, you can't really... Well, uh, it's not very popular. Plus, like, I, I can't really – it's not that much – if you were, like, an astronomer or, like, uh, even, like, a meteorologist or something like that, uh, or atmospheric physicist or something, you know, but microbiology is very far from what a UFO uh, – not necessarily what it could be, but what – you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. like – it's not really – it's one of the last things you'd associate with a UFO, you know? Yeah, it's a different world entirely, you know, not much relationship back and forth. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, uh, what really uh, kind of brought me back was um, uh, James Korean wrote an article when he was uh, in charge of MUFON saying, uh, you know, they're really looking for scientists to help. And uh, I was actually at that time, this is 10 years ago, maybe, maybe more, uh, at the stage of my career where I felt like, well, oh, I, could, I could do something. And so, you know, I kind of volunteered my services and then, the next big thing was the UFO Hunters with Bill Burns. Yeah. Remember that show? And that really got me going. And so since then, I've been out searching. Actually had uh, a UFO experience. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. It, uh, with, uh, uh, I called my wife out in the backyard, and she saw the same thing. We, we think it was a drone, that somebody had a drone with a light on it. That's possible. Yeah, I mean, so I, I would look at it, and it definitely didn't have the high strangest thing where you're freaking out, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, uh, I've advocated for the drone explanation for uh, for a while on the show, because to me it's like, again, it's like they have the technology a generation before we do, so now that everybody has drones, it won't, won't should we lead to the conclusion that, that they've had the drones for a much longer time, and they were probably digging around with them. Oh, I'm sure of it, yeah. The... Um, the thing here in Phoenix is there, there were sightings along uh, uh, Piastawa Peak, and the, the word was out that uh, somebody had a drone. They're flying them back and forth. Now, I never could find anything. I yeah. never saw anything. But, uh, yeah, so I run them around. I run around. I've, I've seen uh, weather balloons. Uh, the planet Venus, with God as my witness, uh, somebody reported. And, um, you know, the, the gamut from uh, uh, actually two hoaxes. Uh, locally here, one with uh, Chinese lanterns, which was exceptionally stupid and dangerous because it's very dry here in the yeah. desert. And there's lots of things that can burn, and they had these, these things going up with flames. So that one I, I called the fire department on. They banned those uh, in Oregon, I think, because of well, that know, very you know types of reasons. They are. This was crazy, and uh, as I watched, one of them crashed in the side of the mountain. I thought, here it goes. This is the fire that, that consumes North Phoenix. And uh, it just went out and just by pure luck. But, boy, the fire department got hot. I mean, <laughs> they, 
they were very upset, and, and they said, we can't come unless there's a fire call, please. And, uh, they were mad at you. Oh, wow. Well, they were they were very upset with you. Egghead scientists some... bothering the firefighters. <laughs> no, they were upset that somebody was doing this. Oh, okay. Um, unleashing, not at me. <laughs> you so made it sound like they were mad at you because there wasn't no, actually no, a fire. No, 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 <laughs> not my not my intention. Yeah, uh, they were very concerned that there would be one, and and the problem is if it gets on the mountains, it's hard in hell to catch up with it. You know, you you got to lug up there. And, yeah, they got to get into the mountains. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, if the wind's blowing, it's over. You know, it's over. So, anyway, uh, all kinds of uh, events. Uh, but until this last year, uh, uh, nothing really uh, a true UFO. And, and so this one, I, I really do think was a, a drone. Somebody playing around with the drone. Yeah. So what do you think of this article? Uh, you know, it's almost a month old now. We've had a month to think about it. Uh, Nothing's really changed, I think, since I talked about it with Greg Bishop uh, last weekend. But, uh, you know, nothing's really changed since the first few weeks after it came out. But as a longtime uh, student of the phenomenon and those who study it, um, you know, what did you think of all this? The thing that um, – one thing that, that people haven't talked about was uh, in New York Magazine, uh, about 10 days later, came another article about the first article. And it, it was uh, a pretty good critique. And so if, if people haven't looked at that, I, I'd say you might want to have a look at that article. Yeah. The title, uh, What the New York Times UFO Report Actually Revealed, was the title of the second one. Yeah. But the, the thing that struck me uh, was that, um, well, have you seen uh, The Post, the movie The Post? No. I'm familiar with it's, sort of the general idea of it, the plot. Yeah, it's it's about the story behind the Pentagon Papers, which uh, in the early 1970s created a sensation because uh, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, a Pentagon insider, was able to get the documents that conclusively showed that the American public had been misled about the Vietnam War. And, right. and he had the goods. But the new UFO paper is kind of like the Pentagon Papers without the Pentagon Papers to look at. And so it's not very satisfying that we have allusions to things uh, that we really should see. And the thing that I found odd for the New York Times was that they went ahead and they, and they did the journalists' uh, due diligence where they, they talked to other people, James Oberg, and uh, I forget the name of the other woman, Sarah Sager, I think it might be, an astronomer, so well-qualified individuals, but those people were not allowed apparently to see any of the documentation, any of the evidence. They just got to talk in general terms about the concept. Right, so it's right. like, you know, come on, some of this is not classified since you're talking freely about it. Uh, if uh, Mr. Bigelow has physical evidence, let's see it. Let's weigh you know, the value of this evidence. Let's, let's see what it really does tell us. And so for me, I agree with you that, that he, when nothing's changed. We need to see more has to be forthcoming. Yeah. Why isn't it? And, and you know, where is the stuff that, that you say is there? So that that was the, the most disappointing aspect of it. Yeah. Well, it seemed to move the ball down the field a little bit, but there's still, I feel like, quite a ways to go, it seems. You know. It's, it's very interesting. Okay, I mean, it really, it really is very interesting to think that you had this black program 
um, money there, stuff being done, even though in, in some ways we've sort of been told that it hasn't. That is absolutely fascinating. And then to think that uh, a corporation has put out calls for proposals for research and, and help, uh, and they have things. They have findings. They have data. Uh, and they have apparently even physical uh, evidence. Utterly fascinating. Now let's get to the you know, what's the quality of this? Where can that take us? Yeah, I'm put, really put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Well, I'm really surprised that uh, a journalist didn't say, the whole crux of the matter is the strength of this evidence. Let's see it. Let's see some of it. You know, let's, let's bring the best out. You know, uh, Do you think that was meant to be the videos that they put out? Because, I mean, I'm not really enamored with the videos myself. I find them kind of well, – I've, right, I've seen crazier from, videos, you know. From 2004. Just for many years, yeah. Yeah, which, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm not a great mathematical genius, but that was before this program began. So there must be something else, right? Because Harry Reid went forward and said, we've got to reclassify this. This, this is too important for time. People are talking about beyond – uh, it's science, no longer science, uh, fiction, it's science, beyond the capabilities, blah, blah, blah. Really? Well, then what led you to that conclusion? And how reliable is that data? How good is that conclusion? All these things I, I would think would have been one of the first bits that the journalists would have tried to extract, at least some of it. Well, I guess I guess the, you know, we talk, we've talked about this on the show where it's like what, if people say this could be like some kind of misdirection play, and it's like if it is a misdirection play, then the answer to like what the there may be an answer in there in what you're observing, I guess. You know, where it's like to the to the storytellers of this story, the story was that this thing existed, not even not what it found. Sure, I get that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying yeah, to like yeah. argue for either either for. I'm just sort of making an observation where it's like, okay, well they didn't ask those questions, so <laughs> like why? Why? Why not? You know, and is that intentional that they they're holding that back from us? Well, let's see. You know, I mean, uh, one of the things that will be interesting is, is uh, if they can corroborate some of the stuff. But yes, you're absolutely. I mean, correct. clearly it's intentional. They're holding stuff back. I'm just saying, like, what, what what's it the seems. intention? It, it seems. Uh, uh, but I think you know, I I agree with you that the story itself, that there is something there to talk about, uh, is rather interesting. I just, I, I'm just not impressed with uh, the uh, the way it was left. I guess is, is how I put it. The other thing that's interesting is I, I don't know if I want to be Robert Bigelow right now and be outed with uh, somewhere on my property, you know, or my corporate property is stored uh, the evidence of uh, something remarkable. It, that alone is hard to believe to me that if they have such evidence that uh, I can't believe somebody somewhere. One person would not want the Nobel Prize. If you could find somebody that wants the Nobel Prize, and that's in one of the searches. Oh yeah, dude! But you could end up like Bob Lazar, where you're like, uh, you, you steal to reference back to my reference from last week's show. You steal like an alien lug nut, and then what? You go to like, like you go to what the media or something? Then you, uh, you, you know. It's, <laughs> You're not going to get the Nobel Prize for stealing an alien lug nut, and anyone who thinks that like is like a, is like the star of a bad of a bad like comedy movie. I, I you're absolutely right, but let me see the frickin' lug nut. 
Okay. Dude, I mean, free the alloys. On. You know I'm hashtag free the alloys. <laughs> Let us have them, man. Yeah. I want, I want to see the evidence. I want to know what drove you to the conclusion uh, that Mr. Bigelow made on 60 Minutes that he's absolutely convinced, you know, that the aliens are – didn't he say on 60 Minutes the aliens are here or have been here? I can't remember how he phrased it. He said he's, like, positive uh, that UFO that, that, that there's something to UFO. Something crazy, something very ambiguous, but also, like, definitive or de- declarative. Okay. Yeah. So let's, you know, let's, let's get down and, and analyze quality of that evidence. That's all I ask. Well, he doesn't have – yeah, that's the thing. He's, like, he doesn't have to – he's under no obligation. There seems to be a weird, like, uh, you know – it's just it's just the whole thing's fucking weird. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, they told us about this thing, but now, like, are we going <laughs> to – it's very rare that they just tell you about something and then never follow up on it. You know what I mean? It's like, where's, where's the follow-up on this? Well, but maybe <laughs> – maybe it'll come out with – Maybe it just takes uh, months. <laughs> the Stars Academy will, will uh, build a functional UFO and fly it around. And show us like, oh no, we reverse engineered the technology, and here it is. Uh, and perhaps engineers that not involved with the project come out and say, yeah, this is these are advances that we haven't seen. Uh, and then I might start to to come around. He says uh, he says there has been and is an existing presence, an ET presence. He's convinced. Okay. So he says I he's convinced. Saw, so I mean that's pretty definitive. I saw him on 60 Minutes. I that's the one. That's the quote from 60 Minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, couldn't remember what the, what the exact thing was. But yeah, he's an, an interesting character. He's he's really oh, a yeah. fascinating person in a sense. Where it's like he's he's like he's like a like a Jacques Vallée type character. He's sort of existing in the shadows, uh, you know. Very much so. Behind the scenes on all this stuff, to a Very tremendous so. degree, clearly to to an insanely you know to a fascinating degree because it's like. He's cutting deals with the government and funding and secretly funding UFO groups. It's like, Jesus Christ, this guy, <laughs> you know, if people aren't filing like FOIAs like crazy to try and get information, you know, on this whole operation, I hope they are. Well, I I know that some are aware of some people who have gone after it. Uh, others have, have said, well, you can't do that against a private company, and what I'm not clear about, and again, I'm not uh, an expert, is that um, as I understand it, if they have issued contracts and expended money, uh, reports and uh, other documents of that should, I think, be discoverable. But uh, again, if uh, uh, memory serves me correctly, one of the persons who's tried basically said they were uh, the government, whoever sent the request to really wasn't very enthused about the whole thing. And so uh, they were saying, no, 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 you got to have, we need the contract number or something like that. In the computer age, like you can't type in big old aerospace and get all the contracts that came up. Right, right. Give me a break. I think Jack Brewer, I think Jack Brewer's chasing it down. So didn't you have, that's what I understand. Didn't you have a suggestion that people should include in their FOIA because you thought it was something about, uh, material. What was it? Instrument transfer or something like that. He had he had a couple of different things. What what I suggested was uh, going after uh, looking for the actual contracts and then maybe uh, uh, again I don't know what the conditions were that they worked under. But when I was a, a federal contractor, I had reports that were due every quarter, activity reports. 
and those are filed with the agency. So right. I would think that those could be discoverable. Whether you have the rights to goes on privately within the corporation, that could, you know, people may be absolutely correct on that. But I would think the stuff that went to the government as product and the contracts that were issued, the monies that were expended, those are subject to accountable uh, sorts of oversight. Yeah, so unless they, like, classify the reports from the Bigelow company, they should be available. Yeah. Theoretically. And I would, would think that they just come out and say, no, it's classified, can't tell you, you know, or not available or whatever. Yeah, why hasn't – see, that's the thing. That's the – you kind of go back to that about the article, too. It's like that's 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 what kind of irritates me about the story because, like, no one – they didn't seem to pursue that element or at least explain that they couldn't, you know what I'm saying? There wasn't anything in yeah. the article that was yeah. like, we tried to get them to give us the reports, but they said they wouldn't, you know what I mean? They just fucking didn't even, just glossed over it. Yes, and so those were the, the oversights that the other journalists had noted, and I think were, for me, uh, disappointing. But, um, you know, maybe maybe Tim will come out. Uh, the, the thing that, that I find uh, interesting is just like you say that, that Mr. Bigelow has, has funded things, has been involved, uh, but in a behind-the-scenes kind of a way. And I, I think years ago uh, with Jeff Richman, we had talked about the community will be the – the UFO community will be kind of the one that imposes whatever the standards are for the evidence. And unfortunately, what we have now is uh, sort of like the very shadowy Bigelow standard, which you can't see. Okay, but we're told it's very important and uh, really earth-shaking, but nobody can see the data. Come on. Yeah, well, they have, to their credit, they haven't said that it was earth-shaking. They just kind of were like, huh? We don't know. Uh, so, yeah, again, I, okay. think the, I think the true story is the storytellers in a sense in this because, like, at the end of the day, the story we've been told is, you know, I, I've, I've processed it now. I've, <laughs> I, I've pooped it out. I've put it, I put it in the box and mailed it off to UFO Central. So now I want to know what comes next. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What indeed uh, it would be uh, wonderful. So, but we've had you know the the community has um, think about the Roswell slides uh, research group. Uh, you know they they went ahead and did just an ad hoc group of people got together and kind of solved uh, a, a dilemma. Yeah. I'm to call it that. Um, I guess with uh, Star Child, uh, Chase Kletsky, and and some others yeah. have gone ahead and uh, and just you know gone after this uh, in, in a way that's uh, very systematic. Uh, you know things can be done if if people can have access. Uh, to the data, the scientific process isn't quite going to be the classical one here, but nonetheless, looking at the the um, information at hand, uh, deciding its relative worth, the validity, how far we can extrapolate it reasonably, uh, those things can be done and, and really should be at some point. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, I mean, there's, there, uh, people have shown that they're capable. The, the community has, has individuals who can put together and run a study and, and do a decent job. So, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not They're in the small groups, that, though, yeah, yeah. It's, well, a, it's, a ragtag, yeah. it's a ragtag field. It really is, and obviously some are better than others. And, you know, let me be clear that uh, the Star Child study, the, the, uh, the new one, uh, should we accept that as definitive? Uh, I, I would say no. 
uh, part of the process is back and forth, okay? How did you reach that conclusion? What exactly are your data, the sequence data? Uh, th this problem, the star child problem, which will carry over into the Paracas school that they're going for now, they are contaminated. They've been handled. Yeah. So I think it would be, uh, actually, I, I communicated with Lloyd Pye uh, a little bit uh, via email, and I, I wouldn't wish this project on anybody because you've got something that's grossly contaminated, perhaps with a very weak signal, be harder than heck to tell what went on, you know, and I think this is going to be the thing that... You're going yeah, to I don't know. I, I don't know the extent of it. Like, I bet it was sort of under lock and key towards the end, but I, I'm guessing that it's, I'm guessing that it's seen its fair share of conference rooms and holiday inns around America for like a decade, I bet. Well, they have the picture of... <laughs> Propped uh, up with the books. Exactly. Mr. Pie holding it, you know, yeah. playing with it, yeah. all these things. Uh, we don't know about the provenance, but if you just wash these specimens, as is often the case, the, the DNA from the handlers and all that, uh, the contaminating DNA, gets deep inside there. Really? And so, it can, yeah, it, it's really one of the things that happens with some of these old samples is uh, cross-contamination from basically the curators and the preparative process. Yeah. So it would, it would really not surprise me to find that you had mitochondrial signals from groups that were from uh, Northern Europe, uh, you know, because they handled it, not because they were there, you know, and not because uh, they had traveled to Peru in ancient times, but because the last few people that handled it happened to be European. And so these really difficult situations to... Uh, to grapple with. So we we may or may not be rewriting the history of human migration. Yeah. Well, that's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's just a thing. Oh, man. That's good. That's a scientific answer, I think. <laughs> hey, the data is the data. It doesn't care what you want. Did you – I found it funny that, like, people – I I – Again, I said to jump back to this Pentagon thing one last time. Uh, I did find it funny, like again, the, the reaction of people when they heard the story, I found was more interesting also than the story itself. You know, it seemed like a lot of people. Uh, to some people, it really was genuine UFO disclosure, you know, but to other people, uh, they just didn't even care at all. So it was like very weird. It's uh, for me, it's it's a very intriguing story. You know, I mean, it, it really is interesting. And this is the thing about UFOs that it keeps you going. Every now and then you get a little tidbit and things to, to look at and ponder. But, uh, yeah, some people are... You know, and I'm not just talking about, like, you know, the people that are, like, off the deep end. I mean, just, like, people in sort of nonchalant think pieces about other garbage would be like, I mean, for God's sakes, the government announced that UFOs are real last week. And it's like so it, it is it's it's served as sort of like a a faux disclosure or a quasi disclosure in a sense or a weird like you know, but it could be a blip and and like in and it could nothing could happen for like two years and people might be like, Remember when the government said that stuff? That was crazy, huh? <laughs> well, it is disclosure and it's not disclosure at the same time. Well the uh, interesting so part, if you think about it, is like that the uh, the people, there wasn't, 
to much, I guess, much to the exopolitical people's chagrin, there, there, there wasn't like this groundswell of people when this news came out. That there wasn't like this this rush like of people who were like, "Well, tell us, tell us, tell us." It was just like, "Meh, all right," <laughs> you know. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. So they're probably like, why should we bother to tell them? They don't care. Like, like the thing that's preventing UFO disclosure is apathy, believe it or not. Well, you know, maybe there's something to that. If there's not enough uh, a groundswell of uh, public interest, then you're right. Why should we worry about it? Why should we disclose anything? Why, why should we honor the FOIA request? Right. We'll see what happens, Tyler. Uh, yeah. We're nearing the end. Oh, let's talk about your blog a little bit. Uh, I like your blog because it's it's already designed to it's already designed to repel morons because uh, it's the name of it is the synthetic genetic Shakespeare's. Uh, so and so it's synthetic genetic Shakespeare's dot wordpress uh, dot com. And uh, as I said, it's like you, you're you're going to trip up a few people with synthetic or Shakespeare. And, and even in, and a small handful of sad individuals with uh, genetic, so that's a lot. Of, that's a lot to expect people to spell, man. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's too long, but uh, I like it it's though. A, it's uh, it was what was in my mind when I started this thing. It's, it's just kind of looking at um, the news, the science news, uh, and then kind of taking and saying, yeah, but did you think about uh, uh, slant? It's not uh, journalism. I don't try to get both sides of the story. You know, I don't interview uh, people or whatever. I just take the, the news and show you the citations so you can go back and look at it yourself. Mostly it's non-technical. I, mean, I hope uh, that I've selected articles that are available for free yeah. and, uh, so you can find them. And then you can see, like, oh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Or, or no, you know, come on. You didn't quote this guy right, or you were unfair here, and, and, and go from that point. But uh, it's also not science relating. It's, it's about science. It's really things to think about. So if you want to have a, a genius kid, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, that, that kind of sort of nonsense. See, I like that kind of talk. Just stop prompt, not you, but just stop prompt, science needs to stop making all these promises, man, about, well, his, <laughs> about a fantastic world. It is, and, and so if you go back and you, you kind of look, uh, and, and this is not my observation, but a guy 20 years ago wrote a book called Frankenstein's Footsteps, John Turney, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the stories are, are uh, the same. You know, I mean, some of the stuff is, is now uh, in vitro fertilization and other things that were kind of sensational. Yeah, you can just keep going past the thing. Don't worry about it. They, uh, you know, the, some of the technologies have changed, but the basic idea and how it's handled is the scientists will call for dialogue, which will never happen. You know, and then we move on, and then we get the next shocking story, we call for dialogue, which doesn't happen. And so the, the only kind of defense is for people to uh, get themselves educated so that when these issues come up, if there's something, a vote in Congress or something, you can call your congressman and say, you know, we really don't want to do this. Uh, and it's the only hope that I have because I don't see the scientists coming up with a way to really meaningfully, you know, gauge public opinion. So if you want to think of it in a more sanguine way, uh, when the National Academies look at things like CRISPR, 
they're a research organization. It's not going to be a shock when they come out and call for more research. Yeah. If if we don't want that, we're going to have to say, you know what, uh, you can do X, Y, or Z, but we're not funding this. And, uh, right. Uh, but anyway, it's just a way to get people to, to think a little bit about uh, what the, the future may hold. I know. But, I know. I tease science, but we need it for things. <laughs> it, it has its uses, but then again, there are times that uh, we don't necessarily want everything that it can offer. Uh, so when I was a kid, with God as my witness, and they, they said that electricity is going to be free because everybody, every house is going to have a little nuclear reactor, and you're going to generate your own electricity. Yeah. And uh, and they even said everybody would have their own computer and. Eventually, that came true. The only thing that really came true was all the stuff about computers. (laughs) And it did. Yeah. Yeah. And then some. And then some. Yeah. But But everything else was like, there's no flying car and shit. (laughs) Well, you know, but the thing that you'd have to to ask is, uh, you know, are we as a society going to really, do we want three-parent babies? uh, And do we want that as a... Um, infertility treatment as opposed to actually a, a therapy for someone that can't have children the other way. Uh, you know, do we, how do we want these things under what circumstances? Stem cell therapy, you know, what, what are we going to permit? What are we going to regulate? All those things are, are questions that will fall to us. So. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, people, uh, they just keep eating their Tide pods and, and waiting for sex robots to make uh, make it out there. I'm going to bet that sex robots attract a fair deal of regulation. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting. Yeah. I see a lot of news about sex robots. I don't know if that says more about me than than, <laughs> <laughs> than sex robots, but I see That's them true. cropping up in the news a lot. Um, yeah, it's very yeah. – uh, it's it's very weird. They uh, – yeah, seems like they push that a lot lately. I uh, uh, I haven't seen all that much, but I could uh, imagine that you could talk to Rogan, and he's probably an authority on all manner of sex robots, and uh, could inform us about the uh, the various technologies at hand. But I think that one has the potential to get people riled up. So why do you think it would be? Why do you you okay going talking a little bit longer? Sure. All right. Um, so why do you think it would be? It would be there would be regulations and shit. I have a feeling that this might offend enough people, where they will demand that uh, they not be sold in some location. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, uh, recently, uh, it hasn't been that recently, but uh, not too long ago, uh, in in North Phoenix, there was an argument about where a pornography uh, shop could be located. Yeah. And if I remember right, there were rules and regulations about it had to be so far away from uh, schools or whatever. And uh, the owners uh, apparently very carefully re- read those regs because people did try to, to run them out of the neighborhood. And they're still there. Yeah, but, you know, everybody knows you get your sex robots online. <laughs> everybody. Well, if, if you want to, if you, if, you, if you, you know, the real money is in sex. <laughs> oh God! The real money is in sex robot repair. <laughs> That's where the real money is. Oh Lord! <laughs> <laughs> I, 
You know, I, I honestly, I, again, here's something else I've never thought of. Sex robot repair. And, uh, yeah, it could be a whole new industry. Yeah, and then you're like, I'm not selling them, dude. I'm fixing them. It's perfectly legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I see your point that they could ban them in places. Yeah, wouldn't be that surprising. I just, I just have a feeling that it will be um, probably uh, something very frustrating for people because I don't think it'll be easy to do. Just like banning pornography shops or whatever. Uh, you know, the internet has changed everything. Yeah, uh, it may be very difficult, but uh, then again, if you ask Alexa for, you know, find me the best price on a robot. Maybe you'll be in trouble. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to have to turn you in. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know about these sex robots. They're dangerous, dude. They're dangerous. <laughs> I wouldn't get I wouldn't get mixed up with one, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe that's what's happening with Alexa now. She's seducing <laughs> me with this, all this free music I get. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I guess you never want to be an early adopter, do you? You want to wait till the bugs are worked out. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Oh, my God. How do we even get down that path? So people can check out uh, – where is it on here again? Let me see. Now I don't have it. The uh, – what's the what's the, what's the the website? Uh, synthetic Genetic Shakespeare's dot WordPress. And uh, it's um, – uh, Oh gosh! It doesn't even fit in your Twitter bio, dude. Jesus! It does not. It Synthetic does not. genetic Shakespeare's. Yes, you can find. I was going to say, go to Twitter and you could you could get the link there. It's it's there. It works. There you go. And follow Tyler on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter too. Tyler's at Tyler Coach John, and I'm at Benal. So I find Twitter a lot more fun than Facebook. So you're not missing out on much. It uh, Facebook has never really appealed to me or had any utility. And uh, maybe if I had a business, I uh, needed to have a presence uh, on the web, you know, that uh, maybe it would be uh, something I'd go after, but just don't have much use for it. Yeah. So. It's gotten really bad in the last, like, three or four years. It's very uh, – it's just very politically charged when it really wasn't before. But that that's, that's the whole world, I guess. It, it is. Uh, I think also uh, if you want to think about uh, what they've become, They've become a news organization without wanting to act like a news organization. Right, and, right. And trying to, to basically say, well, we, you know, we're not responsible for the content, and now that it hasn't worked so well. So uh, big changes, I think, ahead for them. And I also, that's another industry I think will probably face regulation. Social Sooner media, yeah. I can see I that. I think so. I think so. Well, a lot of the stuff with the hacking and you know all the all the stuff, I always think that it's going to come down to like some kind of like the old mark of the beast idea, where you're going to need like a you need to like log in with your social security number somehow in a super secure fashion, you know, thumbprint or some shit. Could be. You know, so everybody and that then that then they the whole the argument with that too is like then you you all theoretically. I'm sure there's always workarounds, but you you take down a huge number of sort of like anonymous trolls that everybody on the internet hates. Oh well, you know what I mean. And bots too, and bots. You'd be able to like wipe out bots and shit. I um, have you noticed? uh, I am turning into a shill for the New World Order. This is scary. (laughs) Yeah, you can travel to Davos with uh, uh, Mr. Trump and uh, and see how that's going to go. That will be interesting. 
but have you noticed uh, uh, more bots following on Twitter? Have you had an upsurge? No, I don't have a lot of bots following me, I don't think. Uh, okay. Yeah. I've, uh, whenever I find them, or I'm pretty sure I've got one, I just uh, block them. Yeah, I haven't had to do too many, but uh, um, I've had other complaints. I can't remember who was talking about it. I said, geez, he's got a lot of bots showing up. So maybe one invites all their friends or something. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, all right, man. Well, I got to uh, I got to get to work on these uh, year in review shows and get them out to people. So I'm super backlogged. I appreciate you coming on the show and all the uh, all the laughs tonight and, and over the years, man. It's been great. And you're you're I think you're like I guess aside from Stan uh, and Bruce Rocks and Greg, who I've committed to sort of reviving the holiday shows uh, next year. You and I, we we already have a date for a future audio spectacular, a one-off event, Banal Origins. It will be unforgettable. Yeah. So look for that sometime. Uh, I don't know. We can't do it like next week, so, <laughs> so sometime in the future. Um, oh. And so that's uh, – well, I'll talk to you on the Twitterverse, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, soon and I'll talk to you for Banal Origins in the future my friend thank you so much for everything I really do appreciate it man okay alright take care Tim Good night. there you go folks that was Tyler Coke John loved the conversation I can't wait to just write down all the different stuff we talked about just now uh, CRISPR and <laughs> sex robots and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff Things I didn't expect we'd get into, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, I gotta get going here because I gotta get these year in review shows out to people. So sorry for the delay. Um, I don't know why I keep talking about this because by the time you're listening to this, you're almost certainly have already heard those. So let's try and keep some continuity here, guys. Um, this was episode what 10:30, so we're we're really in the home stretch now. And uh, there's only a handful of people left I want to talk to, but I'm also kind of getting this weird vibe to, like, add in a few, like, new guests right at the end or something. So I, I'm i not sure what exactly is going on, but uh, we're, we're real close to the finish line. Uh, I can't tell you who the guest is next week, but it's probably someone you know and love. Um, and that's, that's the best way to put it. Uh, or it could be someone else. Who knows? <laughs> but we'll have a show next week for you. Um, it's going to be good. Check out uh, Banal of America, Banal of America on Facebook, or my page on Facebook, my uh, Twitter handle, Banal. Uh, when I know something, you'll know something. I'll let you know. But I got I got somebody in mind. I got to get on the horn with him uh, this week, and hopefully he'll be on the show next week. And then you'll be like, wow, this this we really are we really are coming to the end of the line here, man. I expect tears. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that at all. Uh, <laughs> on that note, um, oh, I guess, yeah, people should let me know if they like the sound from the second episode of the year in review because I was uh, using a microphone from the uh, Banal of America studios, which I didn't use tonight because I still haven't worked out all the uh, all the kinks and stuff. Um, but let me know if it sounded better. I assume it sounded better. I was using a microphone instead of a Radio Shack phone. But that, that – is sort of a glimpse uh, into the future. You know, when we get to Banal Origins with Tyler, uh, we'll, we'll have it all in the studio. So maybe with like a, a visual presence 
so Tyler can like highlight parts of the map, like those election night coverage. Though. So this is going to be amazing. Now I'm getting excited about Banal Origins. All right. On that note, next week I'll talk to you guys. What is it? One twenty-three eighteen. Uh, yeah, guess to be announced. Until then, this is Tim and all. Thank you for listening. 